Hello, and welcome to RD and the Inbetweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. So hello everyone, thank you so much for coming for this session. Um, I am Dr. Maisha Reza and I'm a Senior Lecturer in Biomedical Sciences at the College of Medicine and Health. I also hold the position of the Race Equality Resource Officer. So I'm going to use both my experiences to you know, discuss the topic today, which is how a predominantly white faculty can empower BAME students. Now BAME students, basically Black, Asian, minority ethnic students, I'm not really going to use this term moving forward. I will just say ethnic minority students because um, you know, this is not uh, the favorite term anymore. So I'm going to stick to specifically talking about the role of advising and mentorship, because we know that we do have a predominantly white faculty and we do have a lot of ethnic minority students, which is quite um, disproportionate, especially within the medicine and medical sciences curriculum um, compared to the kind of ethnic minority faculty that we have. But that doesn't mean that we should deprive our ethnic minority students of mentorship that they deserve um, just because the demographics don't align specifically. So how do I become an ally? This is um, something that is a very interesting conversation that goes on where white individuals are always wondering, how do I become an ally? But before that, we need to start thinking about self-work and um, critical reflection. So this, whenever I have this conversation, it seems like a very up in the air kind of conversation. Oh, we need to do self-work and critical reflection. But I think it is not sufficiently emphasized on how important this work is before we actually, um, you know, self-work and critical reflection is going to take us a lifelong journey of learning and reflection. But without engaging in this process, trying to mentor and be an, or be an ally to different marginalized groups can actually be more harmful than beneficial. So in this process of self-work and critical reflection, it, I believe it's really important to discover our unconscious biases that um, shape our decision-making and shape our thought process on a regular basis and what kind of active measures and resistance to these unconscious bias do we need to engage in. This section will not be the main um, topic of my conversation. I just wanna to touch on it briefly before I go into the actual mentorship process. So what's an ally? An ally is any person that actively promotes and aspires to advance the culture of inclusion through intentional, positive and conscious efforts that benefit people as a whole or benefit the uh, marginalized communities that we are, we claim to be allies of. Now, how do we become an ally? Very, very superficial um, and simply we can just be an, anyone can be an ally. Anyone has the capacity and capability of being an ally regardless of their ethnicity. And you don't have to be a member of a specific marginalized group to support them. So what is really required is the conscious and active effort that is required to better understand the obstacles faced by the members of these marginalized groups. And allies are really important because often they are in positions of more privilege than uh, members within the marginalized group. So they are powerful voices alongside marginalized ones. Now, 
moving quickly into conscious, being conscious of our unconscious bias. So in terms of unconscious bias, what it's a term that is um, regularly contested as well. And it's something that also puts people on a bit of a defense where they don't, if they support a certain group, there's a resistance to accept that there is unconscious bias in all of us actually. So our privileges, many of us fall on different spectrums of privilege and our privileges, it blinds us from the negative experience of marginalized groups. So I have different um, intersectionalities as a person that makes me who I am, that confers upon me certain privileges or disadvantages in society. Now, given the privileges that I have, it is natural for me to be blind to the experiences that I do not go through in terms of um, you know, negative experiences, but that doesn't excuse us from not being aware. So bias is in a, inevitable as a result of social conditioning and cognitive processes, but it is not evidence or accusations of prejudice. So contrary to our conscious intentions, we all hold hidden biases that manifest in subtle or unconscious ways, and sometimes it can actually manifest in dangerous ways as well. So it is important that we are aware of them, or we may be creating more harm than good for marginalized groups we support. So I'm just going to stop sharing my screen for one second so that I can uh, close all my tabs so we don't disturb the rest of the meeting. My apologies. All right, so we'll go back to this. All right, so thank you. Um, now, what can I do? These are some of the, in my previous talks where I focus specifically on unconscious bias and, um, you know, self <laughs> oh, sorry. So, so what can I do um, to counter unconscious biases? These are just some recommendations that I've suggested, but they're not, again, I'm not going to go deep into this one because this was what I covered in like my previous talks on, you know, self-work and critical reflection and how do we go about that journey. In, um, in previous talks, I also spoke about how I went on my specific journey to, you know, to discover my unconscious biases and actually start working on them. So that was a lot more comfortable because I was using myself as an example. So that kind of put people a little bit at ease. So in terms of my recommendations, I, I made four. Firstly, being aware of differences in different candidates that we're, you know, we're involved in. A lot of us are academics. A lot of us are in positions of power and leadership positions. We have times where we engage with candidates, with students, with individuals who rely on us for decision-making. So it's important that we are aware of those differences in different individuals and ourselves. And acknowledging that we all have bias, even when we do not realize it, I think this is this is really important because the biggest step is to acknowledge. Um, it is the lack of acknowledgement um, that actually puts a lot of people on the defense. And the third recommendation I'd make would be to actively resist inappropriate advocacy and unreasoned judgment. But this person, for example, is not suitable for this position because we are coming from a space of, of bias or stereotype. So we don't think that they're capable because of certain gender or certain ethnicity. And lastly, and quite importantly, getting involved in reflective activities to continuously work on unconscious biases. It is a learning process. 
It is something that everyone has. It is also something that helps us navigate our world. So I, we're not suggesting that you don't have biases anymore. We're suggesting that you actively engage with your bias so that you know that it does not disadvantage someone who's relying upon you for your decisions, right? Now, moving forward from this um, section of self-work and critical reflection, which is really important to engage with while and before we get into engagement with ethnic minority students as mentors or allies or advisors. So under this um, engagement with ethnic minority students, today I will speak a lot about empathy and vulnerability, which is really important to um, express um, because we, we don't have to know everything. I think it is important for us to be vulnerable and know that we don't know everything. We are learning. And I'll show you examples on how that honesty and that um, transparency about where we are on our journey can be really helpful and can gain the trust of um, students who are different from us. And I would also be talking about some of the positive action and active support that we can provide to our students. So the main flow of my talk would be understanding firstly the distinction between role models and mentors. Um, then I'll go into a bit more discussion on a certain publication which talks about cross-race mentoring. And finally, I'll end off with um, a recording of a personal experience of an ethnic minority student who very kindly recorded that for me. And it is very telling and, and quite aligned with the kind of um, theory that has been established through this publication. So firstly, let's have a look at what role models versus mentors are. They're, they're both significant and they can't be overlooked in terms of their difference. It is important to establish that. So let's look first at um, what are role models. A role model is someone who we can look up to, be inspired by, um, we admire with an aspiration to emulate their life or behavior. They don't need to be known. So the, the role model does not need to know me or I don't need to know the role model. It could be a very silent relationship where we just watch them from far and want to be like them. And role models usually provide an inspiration from afar rather than direct advice and support. It could go into advice and support as well, but this is usually someone you look from afar. Um, sometimes celebrities, sometimes Nobel Prize winners. It's a one-way relationship, largely. Mentors, on the other hand, they engage in long-term relationships and they are focused on supporting the growth and development of their mentees by sharing the wealth of experience they have. So mentors are usually on some sort of similar career trajectory or some kind of space that you connect with um, in your life and you feel like their experiences can help you. So a mentor is a lot more invested. They ensure and guide their mentees to make informed decisions regarding personal and professional development. And as I said, that relationship happens to be a lot more personal and there is significant trust that is built um, between them. So both parties usually agree to that mentorship, making this a two-way relationship. Now, just some statistics that I found very interesting. 87% um, of UK staff um, within higher education, they reported that there is a lack of role models from ethnic minority backgrounds and teaching practices. And that is one that has been 
um, attributing to what, that it has been one of the main factors leading to the awarding gap between white and ethnic minority students within higher education. And this was reported by a Times Higher Education Survey. So just um, again, because I am from the College of Medicine and Health, I, I would give you a few examples from medicine as well. There is an overall 14% degree awarding gap among medical students within the UK. 78% of students within the UK also um, held similar views on the main reason for the um, attainment gap. This is directly from the report of the National Union of Students. I want to also highlight that we are changing that attainment gap term to awarding gap, which is a lot more, which puts a lot more responsibility on the institution. Because when we use that attainment gap, we kind of put that responsibility of poorer achievement to the students or the individuals who are not, um, you know, who are falling in that gap. So an awarding gap puts the, uh, takes that deficit model away. But this is a quotation from the NUS um, UK report. So they cite lack of diverse senior leaders as one of the main factors of um, the awarding gap. So role models in academia can create that sense of belonging for students who tend to report the imposter syndrome uh, where they feel like they may not belong in that space. 1.3% of ethnic minority students choose to do a PhD, almost half of their white counterparts, which is 2.4%. Uh, and that was reported by the Higher Education Funding Council for England. Now, role models and mentorships do go hand in hand, and we need to improve diversity in both student and faculty leadership to increase the role models for our students. And today we focus on tools to empower our existing ethnic minority students with resources we have through mentorship, which is basically parallel ongoing work. Now, the benefits of mentorship would be um, basically when student and faculty um, engage in mentoring programs, it has significant benefits to students, especially those that are considered to be at, at risk because of academic difficulties. Some of the benefits, these are quite common benefits that we already, I think we've all heard of it. Um, it improves um, self-efficacy, there's increased academic scores to help, you know, eliminate the degree awarding, awarding gap that we have found um, in literature that students end up completing more credit units, there is a reduced rate of dropouts, increased graduation, more opportunities for growth, and also higher enrollment in graduate programs, and you know students actually following through with um, careers in academia. So cross-race mentoring, this is the second part of the talk, we're going to look at a case study which talks about highly successful versus the least successful mentorship. And the main important reason for why I even talk about this is because in Exeter, 88% um, of our students who are accepted are, you know, is, is white, and a majority of academics within Russell Group universities are also white. So 86% are white, you have 6% who's Indian and South Asian, 6% who's Chinese and East Asian, uh, mixed and black are 1% and Arab is 0.4%. So largely majority of our academics are also white. You know, that kind of um, puts our ethnic minority students in a position where they are really a minority, where you know, their counterparts are largely white and their, um, the academics that they look up to are also largely white. 
So discussions with academics in general, um, one of the quotes that I'm going to make here is um, something that stayed with me. Um, one of the white colleagues said, I am a white faculty member. It is not my place to mentor an ethnic minority student. I do not share their lived experiences and they will not be able to relate. And I cannot help that. So there is this um, apprehension that they're not qualified or they're not suitable to be a, a mentor for ethnic minority students. And so they sort of shy away from that role and responsibility because they don't feel that they can help now, there are, in, again, in literature, there are two sides of the argument for cross-race mentorships. Some of the concerns raised were that white mentors tend to promote their own racial views and encourage their mentees to assimilate into the white mainstream. And that largely stems from their unconscious bias, where they say things like, you know, you, you need to, you know, try and integrate better. You need to do better with uh, making friends and you need to do, um, you just need to try and assimilate with, you know, with the population if you want to be, if you want to feel included. And that's a problem. Um, if we go on to the next one, a lot of academics also want to avoid difficult conversations about racial issues. They don't acknowledge that racial differences. One of the very problematic terms that, that, um, that tends to get used is colorblindness, where they say, I don't see color, so it doesn't even matter, when that is something that it can be really, really harmful. So there is a tendency to downplay the significance of race, though it could be central, it not could be, it is actually central to the lived experiences of their mentees or their tutees. And often this stems from a huge discomfort that mentors have in discussing race, um, giving, and, and they try to give the impression that racial discrimination is not that important or race is not that important. So we don't want to use that or bring that in the, into the conversation. There is a positive side to this where, um, you know, proponents of this cross-race mentorship actually explain why it's needed. There are obviously, as I showed you some uh, stats just now, currently a lot more people of color who are in need of mentors than there are minority mentors. So that should not deprive ethnic minority students of mentors. So waiting for some for a same race match can result in valuable time lost for the for the mentees. There are also practices that can help. Um, individuals overcome the obstacles of different lived experiences. For instance, it is important to select mentors who promote their mentees' cultural and ethnic identity, who remain cognizant of the lived experiences of minorities. Um, the mentorship gap for ethnic minority students why, um, as I said, why white mentors tend to shy away from the mentoring, uh, from mentoring their mentees of different ethnicities because largely they feel that it is not their place. And because of the different lived experience, there can't be a relatability. So some, of, some research stresses on same race mentoring and others highlight the resulting dearth of mentors and therefore leaving ethnic minority students um, with no mentors. There is evidence um, for um, contact hypothesis, which, which discusses the theory that 
frequent intergroup contact be between equal status members under appropriate conditions, meaning like under friendly, um, hospitable conditions can actually reduce prejudice between majority and minority groups. There are, I personally really struggled um, to find studies and analysis of, you know, how successful cross-race mentorship could be. But I did find one very interesting study and it was a very, it was a thesis which really had some, some lessons that I think we can learn and implement. So this mentorship program, it was the New Horizons Mentorship Program that was um, a program from the Portland State University. It happened in 2013. The study group was basically white faculty members with black and Latino first generation community college students in a formal mentoring program in higher education. So there was this mentorship program went on for three months and six of the mentor pairs or trios were interviewed. So the aim of this entire project um, in this university was to understand the perceptions of white adult mentors and black and Latino mentees of their activities, interactions, and their views on the advantages and drawbacks of their cross-race mentoring relationship. So I'm going to set out a few definitions. These definitions are from, they're all summarized from this thesis. When they define it to be successful, it describes that both the mentor and the mentee describe their experiences as positive, um, that the relationship involved a close interpersonal bond. There was high level of agreement between the mentoring partners um, and both mentors and mentees identified personal and or professional gains or growth during the interview. Sorry, give me one second. Let me close my teams as well. This is... Okay, my apologies, let me continue. I have too many tabs open that I think I really need to start closing. So in terms of the low to no success, um, low to no success mentorship experience, the participants explicitly described their experience um, and partnership in a negative manner. There was very little or negligible relationship that developed between the mentor and the mentee. And mentors and mentees did not discuss anything beyond their research projects or, or mentees were not even engaged in the research task. So this was classified as low to no success versus um, successful. So in this entire study, um, three themes emerged from their um, from, from their entire project and they've classified it as expectations and perception, the mentoring relationship and the racial component. So for each of these themes, I will give you some examples, um, a quotation for both successful and non-successful relationship under each of the categories. So I think that will give us a very good understanding of you know, how these mentors and mentees really felt. So in terms of expectations and perception, um, that was defined as mentors' motivations and expectations in the program and the mentor-mentee understanding of their relationship and how they describe each other. So in a successful mentoring relationship, the mentor dis mentor's decision to participate in this project 
centered on providing mentees with opportunities to advance the mentees' educational and career aspirations. They also had race awareness and highlighted the importance of mentoring students from underrepresented and minority groups in higher education. There was a primary focus on mentees growth and progression towards their academic goals rather than the mentor's own research agenda. That is notwithstanding that of course that these students were engaged in um, research, you know, mutually agreed research projects, but there was a lot of focus on what exactly the mentee wants to achieve from it. There is also mutual liking for each other, which helped them develop a personal relationship. And some of the mentees expressed that, um, you know, despite things being successful, there in the beginning, they still found that race, class, educational differences, and awareness of the kind of implicit racial attitudes their white mentors might have created a bit of tense and uneasy feelings for them. So to illustrate that, I took one of the quotes, which said, a black male mentee said, the first few meetings, I was just like, wow, just the dynamics, you know, an older white woman. We have our perceptions about older white women and how they see black men. So it has probably played on me more than it played on them. So it was just like all these emotions, like, okay, wow, I'm in this position. I got to step up, show that I'm worthy. So this was one of the comments um, the black male mentee made in the beginning, which of course um, transformed moving forward um, in that mentoring relationship. Whereas in a low to no success mentoring relationship, the mentor mentees that were interviewed, the theme that emerged was that mentors had very different motivations for joining this program because they wanted to get help for their own research and work more than you know, understanding the mentees' career goals or aspirations. And often these mentees were considered a pair of eyes or a pair of hands, and their goals were not given similar consideration. So there was a mismatch of their expectations. And that led to a difficulty in the bonding between the mentor and mentees. And you know, there was a difference in personality, there's a lack of common interest. So there was little to no mutual liking um, and no vision towards that common goal. So mentees often describe that mentorship as like a job, they often felt judged and they did not feel mentored at all. So one of the mentors, a white mentor who was a part of this program said, I was kind of at the point where I was working on my research and that was really the priority for me. I was thankful Jared was able to give me some help, but also I wasn't too concerned about, you know, do we like each other? Now let's move on to the second aspect of this theme from this project, which they classified as the mentoring relationship. So the mentoring relationship talks about the overview on the amount of time mentors spent with the mentees and how mentees perceive this experience as contributing to their academic and career goals. So let's look at the successful relationship first. In successful relationships, there was frequent contact with one another. Apparently it was at least once to thrice a week during the mentorship period. There were opportunities for mentees to expand their social network within the university and community through the mentors network, of course. Um, 
the mentees gain clearer perspective on their academic goals and it enhanced their personal development. They didn't feel like they were in an employer-employee relationship. They really felt like this was more of a friendship. And the tools and support provided really helped to advance the specific skill sets that they aim to advance. And mostly the mentees talked about equal status relationship where it was more collaborative and they were working towards shared goals and both their goals were considered important. So they didn't feel that power hierarchy um, that was there in a non-successful mentoring relationship. So the work that they were assigned was aligned to their career aspirations. So one thing that they did highlight was that equal status is difficult to achieve, especially when you have faculty versus first generation undergrads that could really lead to a clear hierarchy, which was quite evident for the non-successful mentoring relationship. And that gap became, becomes more pronounced for ethnic minority mentees. And that often leads to that imposter syndrome. Now, one of the mentees said that the mentor had me talk to different people so I could get a greater perspective of what I want to do. I felt like that was a really good thing. I never felt at any point throughout the whole process that it was just about getting my work done for her. I felt like she wanted me to learn something about what I want to do as well. So that was a really nice quote from the mentee. Now let's look at the unsuccessful one. In an unsuccessful uh, mentoring relationship, there were no clear definitions of the mentor and mentee role. The mentee was largely unclear about what was expected of them. Now, the mismatch of mentor-mentee expectations resulted in poor mutual liking, and there was also a mismatch of personality and interest. So the mentor did not really work together with the mentee to achieve the mentee's academic goals and build that entire mentorship um, program around their own research agenda rather than working on shared goals. And the mentee also did not uh, perceive the mentor accordingly, but saw the mentorship as an opportunity to gain job experience. So it became automatically this employer-employee relationship rather than a collaborative one. Now, one of the mentees said, I felt like I didn't get as much, me being where I am in my life and my career. I didn't feel that I got as much out of it as somebody without a career and knowledge base would have got. I think I would have chosen a different research project for myself. I didn't get to hone in on my skills. I got to kill time. So the third component, which is the racial component, which, is, which I personally found the most interesting, and in successful mentoring relationships, the mentors demonstrated race awareness and they acknowledged racial stereotypes as barriers to interracial interactions and relationships, which, is, which was very interesting for me to read. Mentors stressed the importance of mentoring students from underrepresented groups, and they actively tried to create more inclusive environments. Mentors also demonstrated awareness of implicit racial attitudes and used experience um, as a member of another out group. For example, women in higher education are also, they face significant disadvantages as well to empathize with their students. So mentors needed to put in more effort as compared to same race mentorship to ensure successes. And this was the sentiment of a lot of the mentors in interviewed in this project. And mentors expressed that 
same race mentors would have the biggest impact on how they felt only at the beginning, but did not, um, you know, a same race mentor would not have changed much about their overall mentoring, mentoring relationship over the three months. One of the mentors said, I am quite a bit older than her, also white male, and so kind of on all levels, there are a lot of differences. And I knew I'd have to make it work to put her at ease and have regular contact. I, have to, I had to keep in mind my age, my degree, my kind of status, that I was male and white and all those kind of things just to try and make it more, make it comfortable for her. In a low to no, no success relationship, um, the racial component was, I think a very significant factor as well, where white mentors did not believe that racial difference between mentor and mentee had an impact on the outcome of their relationship. This is where I mentioned the colorblindness that just now, where they use that as a little bit of that shield to not engage in that difficult conversation. So mentors expressed that it was not important to consider how racial dynamics might affect the mentor-mentee interaction. They believe that if work interests align, racial dynamics would not influence the relationship since common interests should supersede racial differences. Um, the mentors also, when interviewed, were very uncomfortable answering questions that explicitly asked about race, and they also did not ex exhibit racial awareness. So mentees also did not have a have any significant thought about race and its impact on the mentoring relationship. So I wouldn't say it was only the mentors being unaware, the mentees also didn't necessarily want to engage with the racial component of it as well. So the mentor said, yeah, one of the mentors said, I just don't see how race, ethnicity, class, minority, anything. I just don't see how that came out. I really don't. And I thought about it. So this was one of the most, this was to me, one of the most prominent statements um, that a mentor from, a, from an unsuccessful mentoring relationship um, made, which is why I put it here, that I feel like there is, a, if, especially when mentors do not see how race, class, ethnicity, any of these um, intersecting factors that make up the life of their mentee had anything to do with a successful mentoring relationship, that is one of the biggest um, indicators of that, of the fact that this relationship is not going to be successful. And this really came out in, in this particular mentor statement. Now, I want to, this, this is a four minute clip. I want to play this for you. Um, this student who is speaking here is, um, you know, I cannot reveal any, any details about the student at all, but I had received consent to play this for the presentation. So this is an ethnic minority student's personal experience with two different white mentors. So I think it'll be really useful to, uh, for us to um, listen to this. I'm a first generation South Asian immigrant and my parents and I first emigrated to the UK in 2002. Um, I'm currently in the penultimate year of my undergraduate degree and since being at university I've had two different white male academic advisors. Um, I really really struggled during the first year at university with undiagnosed ADHD um, and many mental health issues. My performance really was limited by my circumstances at the time. So I do feel that it's quite important to highlight my individual case as the different ways my two advisors approached my problems really dictated my experience as a BAME student in terms of having the confidence 
to approach uh, my difficulties at the time. So my first advisor was assigned to me during my first year at university. And I did feel at the time that although he knew my problems, he had no genuine private concern about them. Um, I was really vocal about negative South Asian specific cultural norms and how they impacted me, um, pressured me, or caused a lot of difficulties in my academics. And I felt no real response from my previous advisor. I think that maybe he felt he had no place to give input. Um, I mean, maybe speculating doesn't really um, explain the extent to the, of the issue, but I didn't feel a response. Um, and that paired with the fact that we didn't have consistent meetings when we did meet, it solely focused on academic aspects of my experience. And I essentially had no outlet to um, explain my difficulties and ask for help with regards to my personal difficulties. Um, and I do feel, I mean, I did feel at the time that a BAME faculty member would have resonated with my struggles a lot more. And I do feel that he himself was sort of indifferent to my problems at the time. Um, towards the end of that academic year, I was given the opportunity to change advisors, and I did so immediately. Um, my current advisor is also a white male, um, but the experience has been completely different. Um, he gives me the room to talk about my experiences without judgment. I'm again very vocal about my problems, and my present advisor shows no expression of judgment or confusion. I mean, rather, he shows a real attempt to understand or try to understand, um, and he's accepted the way that I choose to express myself. It's that um, acceptance that's really given me comfort. Um, he also kind of he links discussions together, so the discussions sort of meaningfully link to each other, and he remembers what I've referred to in a previous discussion and then links it without outright reminding me of a negative experience. I mean, it seems that he tries himself to understand and, and mentally map out what I'm going through. Um, and he just continuously encourages me. I think whenever my dialogue is self-deprecating or defeatist, he really tries to advise me on how to be positive. And we're both aware of these sort of um, interracial differences when conversations are centered around culture. Um, but he actively tries to avoid being sort of presumptuous or speechless. He just accepts me and looks to engage and try to understand, which is really important to me. Um, during my first year, I had consistently achieved grades a lot lower than what I knew I could achieve. I received two twos, thirds. I even scored a 17% on one assignment. Um, I recently received some feedback on two summative assignments, one of which I received an 84% and the other an 85%. Although there are many, many reasons as to why I'm now better able to manage my difficulties, I do feel that my having my present advisor has very much improved my confidence and has equipped me to be better able to kind of reach my potential and approach my issues. Um, it seems clear to me that the demographic of advisors for BAME students in my case does not necessarily dictate the quality of the experience rather a space for, I mean, open dialogue with encouragement, persistence and acceptance does. Um, and I hope that my experience is useful in showcasing that white faculty members can also empower BAME students. Thank you for listening. All right, so 
I found that personally very, very inspiring, um, you know, hearing the student speak the way that she did. I tried to extract some of the things that she has said and try to align it with what the research um, project from Portland State University tried to show as well. So first, when she discussed about developing a personal relationship and her two different experiences, she mentioned that there was no opportunity to express the personal issues that limited her and how all her meetings focused only on, only on um, academic matters versus the next mentorship um, experience that she had where she felt free to express herself and mentor provided comfort, reassurance and showed genuine concern. And they also discussed issues outside of work and academia. Now, the second um, theme that emerged from her conversation was ongoing and meaningful follow-up discussions. So comparing her two experiences, the one that she found unsuccessful showed a failure to follow up um, and maintain communication despite the student's initiative to establish contact and express her challenges versus the successful mentorship mentoring experience where she said that meetings were very consistent and the mentor listened actively remembering the student's challenges to help monitor her progress and finally sensitivity to culture specific concerns. Her unsuccessful mentoring relationship had indifference when you know, she met with her mentor you know, because there was no discussion um, on culture or there was an indifference to the discussions on culture or cultural differences more specifically. So there was also no real attempt to engage or try to understand the students' feelings versus during the successful relationship, there was that acknowledgement of the difference in cultural backgrounds and engagement in fruitful dialogue without judgment or disapproval. So if I can go further and map the same, um, the same themes that extracted, you know, I extracted from her conversation, it, it really does match up with what the study actually found on, on the themes that they identified, which is expectations and perception of the mentoring relationship, um, the actual mentoring relationship and what that entails, and the racial component where there is an acknowledgement and understanding that th these differences exist and the differences actually can, um, you know, impact how the relationship goes on. Now, if I could summarize um, overall, based on my entire talk, I think under expectations and perceptions, it is important for um, to keep mentees goals and aspirations at the forefront, along with, of course, the supervisors or the mentors goals where, you know, why they engage in the relationship, it needs to be, you know, both of their goals and aspirations need to be equally valuable. So it is also important to overcome negative perceptions, stereotypes, and try and build that trust, which is important in developing mutual liking and the bond. In terms of the mentoring relationship, um, it is important to provide mentees with tools for growth and development. It is important to have an equal status relationship working towards that shared goal and of course, effective communication. And finally, the racial component, which I always find very fascinating, is demonstrating the awareness of race and ethnicity, acknowledging our own unconscious or implicit biases, um, being empathetic and allowing vulnerability, as I first mentioned in the, in the beginning, and having open conversation about 
racial dynamics that can play into the relationship and the success of the mentoring relationship. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development and everything in between. Thank you.